Grab a Bible if you're so inclined. Let's put eyes on Luke chapter 2 this evening. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll see if we can't remedy that situation. Luke chapter 2. We're just going to be in there for a brief moment, but an important moment. Beginning in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Why? Our Christmas Eve service is all about celebrating our dear Savior's birth. Why? I don't mean why celebrate. That's tomorrow morning, actually. Tomorrow morning's message, different than tonight's message, we're going to talk about why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we, in a very real sense, order our whole year in Western society? Why do we order our whole year around it? Because the Bible doesn't mention Christmas. The Bible doesn't prescribe this celebration. So tomorrow, why have we built this holiday around the birth of Jesus? Tonight, I'm asking a different why question. Why are we celebrating our Savior's birth? Why was Jesus born? And we've got a good answer ready. Most of us are, are ready. We're, 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 we're dying to get that question. Why did Jesus come? To rescue humanity. He came to give us life as a ransom for many. He gave, came to redeem us so that we could have a relationship with God who created us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Oh, how we long to get that question, right? Why did Jesus come? And we rejoice that he did, but that's still not what I'm asking. Why did he come the way that he came? Why did he come the way we just read? Why did he come as a baby? How else was he going to come, Patrick? Remember, we're talking about Jesus, right? Jesus, who is God. Jesus sent by God the Father. And the last time I checked, God can do anything. So Jesus could have entered the world as a grown man. Nothing preventing it. Didn't have to be born. Adam and Eve weren't born. God breathed Adam and Eve into existence as fully formed, mature humans. So I have no doubt, none at all, that Jesus could have entered the world as an adult himself. Why didn't he? Why did Jesus come as a baby? The church I grew up in would have said, well, it's a mystery. You just have to believe by faith that Jesus knew what he was doing. Okay, I do believe that Jesus knew what he was doing. I'm quite sure he knew what he was doing. At the same time, I think the Bible answers the question. I think the Bible gives us at least 10 reasons why Jesus came 
as an infant, probably more than 10, but I still have packages to wrap, so we're going <laughs> to stick to 10 tonight. Why did Jesus come as a baby? The first, and if you've been with us before on a Christmas Eve, most obvious answer is prophecy. Even if you hang out with us on Wednesday nights, Jesus' birth fulfilled prophecy. Matthew 5.18, we sang it just a moment ago. He came to fulfill the law and prophets. And almost every Christmas Eve, we make note of all of the ways that he fulfilled the prophets. The place of his birth, the time of his birth, the circumstances of his birth, his parents, his parents' ancestry, events before and after his birth, all written in advance, hundreds of years in advance, in meticulous detail. Future history, that's what prophecy is. History written in advance. More than 300 prophecies, more than 300 examples of future history penned by various authors centuries before Jesus was born. 300 talking about his first coming. There are many, many more than that still waiting to be fulfilled in his second coming. Peter Stoner, we talked about this last year, I think, a mathematician in the 1950s, picked just eight out of those 300, eight prophecies fulfilled by Jesus in his first coming, and applied statistical modeling, which was independently validated. Non-believing mathematicians looked at his process, his, his approach, and said, yeah, that's, that's valid math. That's good statistics that he's doing. And he said, what are the odds that any one person by chance would fulfill just eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? And he came up with one out of 10 to the 17th power. That's how unlikely it is. That's not a number that our brains work with very comfortably. So he put it in terms that maybe we can understand a little better. Cover the state of Texas with silver dollars from border to border, north, south, east, west. Bury the whole state knee-deep in silver dollars. The odds of Jesus, by chance, fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies about his first coming are the same as walking into Texas covered three feet deep in silver dollars and picking up what the one, the right one, the correct one, the, 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 the pre-specified one by chance the first time. There's, a, there's another mathematical word for that. It's impossible. <laughs> Jesus came to fulfill prophecy. And he came as a baby, let's get back to what we're talking about, because one of those prophecies is Isaiah 7.14, that he, a child would be born, a son would be given to a virgin. I combined two different verses there, but you're going to forgive me because you're like that. Isaiah 7:14 said that Jesus wouldn't just appear, that he would be born of a virgin. Why was Jesus born as a baby? Because there was a prophecy that said he was going to be. Now you know that's circular logic, right? That's, that's a circular argument. It did fulfill prophecy. But prophecy isn't a prediction. Prophecy is God who's outside of time, seeing what's going to happen, and then speaking it before it does. Prophecy is hidden, history written in advance. It's not a prediction. So God knew that Jesus was going to come as a baby when he gave the prophets the prophecy. So, so it doesn't fully answer the question. 
God inspired the prophets to write, hey, write down that Jesus isn't going to come as a baby, because he's going to. Because that's what God wanted to, to happen. But why? There's, there's still the question out there. So let's keep moving. Reason number two, why did Jesus come as a baby? Reason number two, to display his humanity. So that all would be able to see and recognize what was happening. John 1.14, the word became flesh and came to live, came to dwell. He tabernacled among us. Jesus came as a baby so that that would be obvious to us, so that we'd recognize it. Why did Jesus come? He came to rescue us. We said that already. And he came to rescue us the only way he could, by dying in our place. God, who wanted to show mercy to us, you and I, sinners, every one of us, God wanted to forgive us. The problem is, God who is perfect in his mercy is also perfect in his justice. He couldn't just pretend that our sins never happened. Crime has to be punished. How could a righteous God do both? How could a righteous God administer both justice and mercy? Answer by sending a son to be punished in our place. Someone was punished, it wasn't us. And with Jesus having been punished, then the door was open for God to forgive us. But here's the thing, for all of that to happen, for any of that to happen, Jesus had to die. The wages of sin is death. To be punished in our place, Jesus had to die. In order to die, he needed to be human. God can't die unless God is also human. Jesus was God coming to earth as a human so that humans could go to heaven to be with God. Coming as a baby made that just a little more obvious than it would have been otherwise. If Jesus had come as an adult, what are you dealing with? Because all throughout Scripture, people see figures that appear to be human adults and they turn out to be angels. They turn out to be devils. But a baby, no, that's unquestionably human. See, the whole, the whole salvation, the whole transaction, that would have worked if Jesus had come as an adult, no question about it. He had to be human to die. He could have come as an adult human. He didn't necessarily have to be born. But if he'd appeared as a man, and then a few hours later, a few days later, maybe a couple years later, goes to the cross, it would have begged all kinds of questions, wouldn't it? How many people would have believed that he was who he said he was. I mean, history tells us one of the most prevalent and persistent heresies is that Jesus was not human. People undermine the gospel two different ways. Either Jesus wasn't fully God or he wasn't fully man. Or his sacrifice wasn't fully sufficient. I guess that's the third way. One of the most prevalent and persistent heresies is that Jesus wasn't human. He was a spirit, says this group. He was an angel, says that group. We have to know that he was human. Why? We're saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? That Jesus, fully man and fully God, died for our sin. We have to believe that Jesus died for our sin, that our sin was paid for so we can be forgiven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Believe on who he was. Believe that his sacrifice was sufficient is how you and I are saved. He came as a baby, so it would be a little bit easier for us to grasp that. Let's keep going. Second, second reason was coming as a baby proved Jesus' humanity. Third reason, reciprocal function, it also proved his divinity. How do you get there, Patrick? I get that coming as a baby helped us see his humanity. How does coming as a baby prove that he's God? Well, let's back up a second. We're clear that he had to be God, right? Had to be human to die. Had to be God because he wasn't just dying for one person's sin. He was dying for all of our sin. So he needed to be human to die, but he needed to be more than human at the same time. He needed to have blood so precious that it could pay for the sin of the whole human race. He needed to be God. So how does, how does, how does he prove that? How does he demonstrate that or authenticate that? Well, there's a lot of ways. Fulfilled prophecy is one. Miracles is another. Jesus did both. Did a lot of both. The night of his birth, he did both at once. He was born, we said a moment ago, he was born of a virgin. That's a miracle that also fulfills prophecy. It's also a little random. I mean, does that, does that ever seem weird to you? Hey, I'm going to prove that I am who I said I am by being born of a virgin. Okay, of all the ways that you could do that, why that one? Well, the other thing about dying for our sin, not only did his blood need to be so precious, that it could cover all of our sin. It also needed to be pure enough that it could cover our sin. It needed to be a sacrifice wholly and completely and exclusively for you and me. It needed to be free of sin itself. And that's a, that's a problem, that's a conundrum. Because ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve blew it, humanity has had a sin nature. When Adam and Eve blew it, God pronounced a curse on creation and some, some things specifically against humanity, one of which resulted in a genetic defect. You and I are S-I-N positive. It's a defect that we inherited from our parents who inherited it from theirs and so on and so forth. Our hearts and minds have, uh, were, have, are corrupted. We were born that way. And because we were born corrupted, we've sought corruption. We were born with a sin nature, and so we pursue sin. We're not sinners because we sinned. We sinned because we're sinners. And we've talked a lot about that Sunday mornings in Romans. But here's the question. How did Jesus avoid that? How can Jesus be human, which he was, with, without being part of that? Answer, apparently our sin nature is passed down from the Father. Take Joseph out of the equation, remove him from the transaction, and then you've got Jesus, not only fully God and fully man, but fully God and perfect man with no sin nature. Footnote. Geek out with me for a moment. Things I didn't know. Maybe you know. Um, Hannah almost certainly knew. Reading up on the virgin, because she's a doctor and stuff, reading up on the virgin birth and, and the whole sin passed down through the Father, here, here's a question that, that people will raise. 
But Mary carried him. Mary carried him in her womb, and she had a sin nature. Wouldn't living for nine months in mom's womb corrupt Jesus' sin nature? And we can shrug and say, well, apparently not. But there's a better answer. Did you know that mother and child don't share blood? You say yes. I did not know that. Child, it turns out, child in, the, in, in mother's womb gets nutrition and oxygen from mom's blood, but it, but it passes through the umbilical cord. The oxygen does, the nutrition does, but not the blood itself. Jesus' blood was wholly and completely his own until he shed it for us. And the, and the, the author that, that I was reading this, the author that, that wrote the article that I was looking at, said, you know, we don't know Mary's blood type. A, O, B, A, B, most rare blood type, A, B, negative. But Jesus' blood type was rarer still. It was D, positive, D for divine. Jesus had to be fully man and fully God to die for our sins. Coming as a baby helped establish both of those things. Let's keep moving. It established something else as well, number four on our list. It established his eligibility. Eligibility. Yeah, it established that he was eligible to be our great high priest. Three, year, three years ago, three, whenever we finished Life of Christ and moved on to Life of Paul, we, we, we had an intermission. We did a summer series, Jesus, Prophet, Priest, and King. And we looked at how Jesus fulfills all of those offices, each of those offices. We looked at verses like Hebrews 2.17 that tells us Jesus was not only the sacrifice for our sin, he was not only the sin offering, he was the priest who offered it. No one took Jesus' life. He laid it down of his own free will. And you're saying, okay, Jesus was the sacrifice and the priest who offered it. What does that have to do with the virgin birth? Law of Moses lays out specific requirements for anyone who's going to act as priest, anyone called the service priest. One of them is that person has to have been born under the law. Galatians 4.4 tells us Jesus was born under the law, and fulfills the law. What does that mean? What does that get us into? Well, one of the things that the law requires is that a child be, a male child, be circumcised on the eighth day, which Jesus was. We read that in Luke's Gospel. If he hadn't been born, he wouldn't have been circumcised on the eighth day. He wouldn't be eligible to be a priest. He would have been disqualified. If he hadn't been born, we can, we can come at this another way as well. In order to serve as priest, how old did you have to be? 30 years old is correct. So, so go with me on this. If Jesus comes as an adult, he might have been mature, but he wouldn't have lived 30 years. Gosh, Patrick, that's, also, that's, that's very, very technical. Yes, so were the priests. And it's very likely he would have been disqualified on the basis of having not lived 30 years. Okay, that one was sort of technical. By technical, I mean geeky. Let's move on. <laughs> and we'll head in a more relatable direction. Number five, coming as a child made Jesus more relatable. Coming as a child put Jesus' humility on display. People were expecting a warrior king, a mighty military leader who was going to throw off the yoke of Roman oppression. Except that wasn't Jesus' mission. Not his first coming. 
His mission 2,000 years ago was to seek and save the lost. To do that, to seek and save the lost, he needed to be approachable. People needed to be interested. They needed to come to him. They needed to not be afraid when he said, hey, follow me. Jesus needed to be approachable to accomplish his mission. What is the most approachable thing on the planet? A baby. Philippians 2.8. Jesus could have come as a conquering king. He will come as a conquering king. But 2,000 years ago, he set aside all of the privileges and prerogatives of being a king, of being God, and he came in the most humble, lowly form possible. Not just human. Think about the difference between God and human. I mean, that right there is infinite. But let's come as the lowliest, weakest, most helpless form of human to make it easier for us to approach him. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of, Prince of Preachers, say that five times fast. Charles Spurgeon makes this point in one of his sermons. He says, we might tremble to approach a throne, but we cannot fear to approach a manger. Never could there be a more approachable being than Christ. And the Bible confirms that. Rewind to what we read at the, at, at the top of service. Luke's gospel, the, the angels are announcing Jesus' birth, right? What was the shepherd's response? They were terrified. New King James says they were greatly afraid. King James Classic says they were sore afraid. They were terrified of the angels. But they ran to see Jesus. If they were terrified of angels, how much more so Jesus coming in his glory? Think about when Jesus returns on a white horse with a sword drenched in the blood of his enemies. That's a terrifying idea. Jesus didn't want that. He wanted the opposite of that. He wanted to woo us, draw us, save us. That's the whole reason he came to live among us came to live as one of us and we start as babies so he did too david jeremiah puts it this way he says it's easier to walk in his steps because we first watched him crawl i think that says it well and coming as a baby jesus made it easier for us to identify with him but point six it also made it easier for him to identify with us being born as a child allowed Jesus to grow into his identity. We talked about this last weekend. We went to Hebrews 5, verse 8, and we said, mind-boggling as it is, Jesus, in growing up, learned obedience. He learned what it is to be misunderstood, persecuted, mocked, assaulted, he learned, he experienced what it is to be tempted, what it is to deal with emotions, because Jesus was joyful and happy and angry and sad and frustrated. Now, Jesus is God. He always knew about those things. God is omniscient. He knows everything. But he still needed to learn experientially by doing what it was to be those things, to do those things, to go through those things. So when it came, down, when it came time to lay down his life, he was laying down a life that he'd lived. 
He lay, was laying down a life that truly was a substitute for ours, like ours in every way. He knew what it was like to be us. Think about it. If Jesus had just appeared, and, the, and then a short time later, a few days later, a few weeks later, a couple years later, you and I would have said, dude got off easy. <laughs> couple weeks, couple years? He skipped the whole teenage thing. <laughs> he skipped his single years. Skipped the death of a parent. Death of a friend. Didn't experience betrayal, heartbreak. Didn't experience any of the things that make this life what this life is. Oh, what a ripoff. We wouldn't have recognized that as as a life laid down in our place. But Jesus experienced all that. In fact, he experienced more than that. Isaiah 61, Jesus' mission statement, written 700 years before he was born, but he stood up in Luke chapter 4, he stood up in the synagogue and he claimed it. He said, this is me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Lord has anointed me. Look at the bold on the screen. To preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to comfort those who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, I'm here for you. I'm here to rescue people like you. He came to preach the gospel to the poor, so he lived a life of poverty came to heal the brokenhearted, so he had his heart broken a bunch of times, again and again. He knew what it was like to be a prisoner, to be burdened with a spirit of heaviness. So he knew what he was saying when he said, come to me, you are, who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come boldly to the throne of grace, and I will be your peace. He knew what he was talking about, and we knew that he knew what he's talking about. Coming as a baby helps us identify with Jesus, helps Jesus identify with us, which helps us identify with Jesus. It's a, it's a feedback loop. And another outcome of that, one result of that, it's, it's easier to trust him. Easier to go to him for salvation. Easier to come to him and say, Jesus, I blew it. I blew it so big, so bad, so often. And we know he gets it. We know he knows what it's like to be us. And so it's easier to say, will you forgive me? But here's another outcome of that process. It's not only easier to go to him for, for salvation in the sense of justification. It's easier to go to him for salvation in the sense of sanctification. Point number seven. Coming as a baby, Jesus models and he gives us hope for purity. Hebrews 4.15, Jesus was tempted in every way you and I are tempted. Tempted in every way a human being can be tempted, and he still didn't sin. That gives us hope, doesn't it? Gives us hope that you and I who are in Christ can be tempted. We can see sin beckon. We can, we can have our own flesh long and cry out, and we can still say no. Oh, but come on. That's Jesus. He's God. It's not like he was really going to sin. Okay, but 
Not so fast. Remember what we read in Philippians 2.8. Jesus set aside the power of being God. So the miracles that he did, the temptation that he resisted, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. He did through the same power available to you and me. Interesting, tomorrow morning we're going to talk about pagan gods. Why Christmas, and is Christmas really just a, 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 a pagan celebration and dress up clothes and a halo? Pagan gods, what we, what we call mythology, Norse gods, Greek gods, Roman gods. When you look at them, when you, when you study them, they're pretty nasty creatures. They're angry and mean and fickle and jealous. Kind of like us. Which shouldn't be surprising because we make gods in our own image. God came down to earth to remake us, check it out, into his image. We sometimes call Jesus the last Adam because he succeeded where the first Adam failed. He believed, he trusted, he obeyed, he served. And because he came as a baby, that wasn't just a snapshot, that was a whole motion picture. He believed, he trusted, he obeyed, he served, and he kept on doing it for years. He remained a model of purity, purity of thought, purity of action. He was a, a living example of his own teaching for years, through, through his childhood, through his teenage years, through adolescence, through his single years, through heartbreak and loss and betrayal, through every hard thing. He kept following God. What does that tell us? So can we. The fact that he came as a baby helps us see that, helps us believe it. That's not how we're saved, by the way. We're, we're clear on that, right? Not saved by good works, saved for good works. Not going to heaven because we follow God. We're following God to heaven. Jesus made a way. He said, follow me. We responded. We're following him all the way to heaven. And that way started when he came as a baby. For unto you, Isaiah 9, 6, unto you a child will be born, unto you a son will be given. And 2,000 years ago, an angel stood up and said, he's here. I got good news, the angel said. Best news ever. Good tidings of great joy for everyone. Christ the Savior is born. Christ who came as a baby lived a sinless life among us, ultimately for one reason, we sang about it, to die for us. Reason number eight, he came to purchase victory over sin and death and Satan. Warren Wearsby quotes another pastor whose name I can't remember. The greatest forces in the world are not the earthquakes or the thunderbolts. The greatest forces in the world, babies. I mean, and that's true for all babies, but it's especially true for one baby. A baby who came as a child so he could do what he did who came as a child, so we would know who he was and why he did what he did, who came as a child to give us an opportunity. This is number nine. He came as a child to give us an opportunity to be born again. Son of God was born as a child so that you and I could be born again as sons and daughters of God. And we got to be. We need to be. Unless we're born again, John 3, 3. Unless we're born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. We will not go to heaven. 
We will not spend eternity in God's presence. We'll spend eternity removed from his presence. If we're not born again, we spend eternity in the same state we're born into, apart from God, alienated from God, in rebellion against God, enemies of God. Jesus said, okay, let's, 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 let's make another way. Let's offer another chance. Came as a child, died as a man to give us a second chance, to give us a chance to repent, to be forgiven. One of the things I like about Christmas, the observance, the celebration, it comes around every year. Like I said earlier, we, we literally organize our calendar year around it, don't us, don't we? And that reminds us every year. On a, on a regular basis, we're forced to realize it's never too late. There's always that opportunity to start again, as long as we're drawing breath. If we're still drawing breath, it's not too late to be born again. And once we are born again, that, that, that opportunity, those second chances, they keep coming. Once we're born again, death is defeated forever. It's defeated no matter what. When this life ends, we're in the presence of God, period. Once we're born again, Satan has no claim on us no matter what. We belong to God forever. Once we're born again, sin has no power on us, no matter what. We can sin, we can stumble, we can shipwreck. We're still forgiven, and we're forgiven forever. And if you've never taken advantage of the opportunity to be forgiven, never received it, never known the peace and joy that comes with it, would you please talk to me or talk to one of the other elders? We'll, we'll be hanging out in the corners of this room just so you can find us. Talk to us before you leave. If you've never been born again, you need to be. It is the only way to heaven. You need to be born again. And I can't think of a better day to be born again than the day that we celebrate Jesus being born. Seriously, if, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you gotta talk to someone. Right now, while, while, while you're here, while you're thinking clearly, while nothing else is competing for your time of, uh, or attention, if you have questions, bring them. Not going to beat you up, not going to argue with you, not going to you know, hammer you with the Bible. I just, this is your forever. And we're deeply, deeply interested that you spend it with Jesus. Final point. For those who are born again, those who have been born again, those who have gone to the cross, those who have taken Jesus up on his offer, one more thing to touch on tonight before we close. One more gift that Jesus has for you this Christmas. One more reason he came as a baby. Reason number 10. Babies remind us of family. That's how we get babies. And that's what we get from babies. Family. When we're born again, Jesus welcomes us into his family. And that's not just a heaven thing. That's not just a someday one day thing. That's a right here, right now thing. And it's an incredibly important thing. Christmas can be a difficult time. I don't need to tell you. You know. Christmas was not my favorite time of year growing up. I've told the story before. My dad was born on December 26th. His father left home Christmas Eve that same year and never came back. So Christmas, understandably, Christmas and birthday rolled into one. 
bad time for my dad, which made it a bad time for the rest of us because hurting people hurt people. And, and I get that's a small thing. I get that that's a story that, that, can, that isn't worth mentioning, that, that can't even compete with some of what you're going through. But, but here's something I came across a few years ago that's become precious to me. It's, 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 it's been, become a game changer for me. Revolutionary. Mark 10, verse 29, and you've heard this, some of you as well. Jesus, this is right after the encounter with the rich young ruler. And Peter says, well, what about us? We've left everything. He didn't leave anything, but we've left everything. Jesus, what about us? Are you going to take care of us? Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in this age I'm sorry, and in the age to come, eternal life. In this life and in the age to come. Jesus came as a baby. Babies remind us of family. Jesus came as a baby to point us to the family that he has for us. The family that he's brought us together to be. The family that he's assembled to love one another to serve one another, a family that transcends biology. Shortly before he died, Jesus said to his mother, hey, look at John, because he's your son now. He looked at John and said, she's your mom now, because the family that we are in Christ transcends biology. It's incredibly precious. We talked last Sunday about God calling us here at Calvary to be that family, to pursue that community. Talked about it last weekend, going to talk about it next weekend. But this weekend, if you're, if you're here and, and you're alone, you're beat up, you're lost, you're suffering from loss, I hope that you'll accept our invitation to be family with us, with us and with Jesus. And join us in loving and serving and worshiping Jesus. And if you already call Calvary home, let's be us. Tonight and every night. This weekend, every weekend. This week, every week. Fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters to one another. Loving and serving each other. As we love and serve Jesus who came as a baby to bring us together. Jesus, words fail We can't express our gratitude. But Christmas is about gifts. Most of us are giving gifts this weekend, and we know our greatest desire is that the gift would be appreciated, that it would be used. You are the great gift giver. And we can only imagine that your greatest desire is that we would come to the cross. That your blood wouldn't have been shed in vain. That we would trade places with you. Hand over our sin. Receive your righteousness. 
and spend the rest of our days enjoying the gift of salvation. Satan can't touch us. Sin has no power over us that we don't give it. Death has lost its sting. That is the gift that you purchased on the cross. That's the gift that you came to bring. Jesus, teach us what it is to enjoy that and to rejoice in that and to share that.